name's Nick Sawyer, and welcome to The Swap Podcast, where we exchange news and views on the latest trends in derivatives and finance. Trade reporting has been a priority for the derivatives market for around 14 years, as regulators sought to build a more accurate picture of trade exposures in the wake of the global financial crisis. Driven by the G20, regulations were introduced to mandate the reporting of OTC derivatives trades to designated repositories. If repositories collected the data, so the thinking went, regulators should be able to use that information to identify potential sources of systemic risk and take appropriate action. But it hasn't been plain sailing, with each jurisdiction taking its own approach to the drafting of reporting rules and every entity interpreting those rules independently, inaccuracies, duplications and omissions developed in the reported data. While transparency has certainly improved, regulators have struggled to build a fully comprehensive picture of exposures. Efforts are underway to put this right with the development of globally harmonized data standards led by the Committee on Payments and Market Infrastructures and the International Organization of Securities Commissions. Regulators around the world are now incorporating these data standards into their reporting rules. The CFTC went first with an initial phase of updates to its swap data reporting rules implemented in December 2022. Others are due to follow suit, including the EU and Japan in April next year. I'm joined, as always, by ISDA CEO Scott Omalia. Now, Scott, I know this has long been an important issue for you, dating back to your days as a CFTC commissioner. That's right, Nick. When I was at the commission during the period of Dodd-Frank rulemaking, when the swap data rules were first being developed, I remember saying at the time that without global harmonization, trade reporting would never achieve its objective. And I said that many, many times. We've come a long way since then, and I'm encouraged by the commitment of so many countries to adopt international standards. But it is out of realization that the lack of consistency made it more difficult to share and manage the data. But there's still a long way to go. We need to make sure that the rule updates are consistently implemented, and this can only be achieved through collaboration between market participants and with regulators. Nick, I don't know if you saw this, but Ian McGinley, the CFTC's Director for Enforcement, gave a speech on October 17th, which he noted that the penalties for CFTC enforcement are going up. He specifically mentioned the consistent reporting violations that occur. That goal is to make the penalties far more significant to minimize future misconduct. So the regulators have taken steps to make things smoother. Now they are going to penalize you if you don't address this completely and and once and for all. So that's why we've put such a big focus on trade reporting at ISDA and why we've been working with our members to take the digital first approach to implementation of these rules. Yeah, it's also why we're focusing on this topic for this episode. And we've got two industry experts with us to help us make sense of the various issues. We'll be joined by Eleanor Kelly, Executive Director, Global Regulatory Change and Control at JP Morgan, and Saeed Ali, Managing Director, Product Development, Change Management and Delivery at DTCC. Having the perspective of a bank that reports this critical data and a repository that collects it should help us to unravel some of the key issues. So let's bring our guests on. Eleanor Saeed, welcome to The Swap. It's great to have you on this show. Thank you, Scott. It's great to be here. Thank you, Scott. Happy to be here. Let's start with the big picture. Derivatives reporting was at the center of the post-financial crisis reform package agreed by the G20 in 2009. 14 years on, and reporting rules are still being revised in almost every jurisdiction. What made these revisions necessary? Said, can you address this one? Sure, Scott. As early as 
2010, before the first trade repositories had gone live, DTCC, amongst others, identified the potential issue of derivatives data fragmentation arising between regulatory regimes if the reporting mandates were not centralized. It was widely agreed that maximum global data harmonization was necessary to deliver the necessary transparency which the G20 policymakers had originally envisaged through the implementation of trade reporting. Now, fast forward over 13 years, while progress has been made, there remain significant differences between jurisdictions in terms of the data that must be reported, the mechanisms by which reports must be made, and the standards to which reported data must conform. In my view, these jurisdictional differences fall short of the G20's desired goal, resulting in the inability to effectively monitor the global systemic risk introduced by derivatives markets. The world's major derivative jurisdictions have now undertaken a round of regulatory rule rewrites that focus on improving data harmonization and the move for the industry to move closer to the G20 goals. Well, it has been quite a journey. Each of these jurisdictions obviously implemented on their own pace and what they wanted in their own rules. We're now kind of getting together. How would you assess it in terms of a percentage basis, in terms of consistency among the major jurisdictions? Let's just take the U.S. and Europe, for example. Do you have a, a sense of how much overlap we have there? That's a great question, Scott. And I think once all the rule changes come into force, DTCC analysis shows that 41 of the 121 critical data elements will have been implemented consistently across jurisdictions, which is enough information to form an economic perspective. However, clearly there's room for further harmonization and standardization. Well, recognizing some of these challenges associated with the reporting and the inconsistencies, the Financial Stability Board asked the CPMI and IOSCO to develop globally harmonized data standards, including unique transaction identifiers, unique product identifiers, and critical data elements, which you just referred to. National regulators are now integrating these into their standards as they update their reporting rules. How important is this, and to what extent could it bring increased harmonization? I mean, you mentioned that with Europe and the U.S., the rules are going to be 41 out of 100, which... If I was scoring a test, I don't think I'd get the A for that kind of percentage. But does it really make it better? Saeed, let's start with you. At DTCC, we believe that the adoption of critical data elements for derivatives trade reporting, together with the use of unique trade identifiers, UTI, and unique product identifiers, UPI, and legal entity identifiers, LEI, are key for enabling cross-border data aggregation that will meet the G20's original goal of identification and mitigation of cross-border systemic risk. However, coming to your point, and for more additional context, I should say, there are 121 CD fields today within the technical guidance. And as I mentioned earlier, 41 of these fields are fully aligned across regimes, while 32 are only aligned for adopted jurisdictions, which means not all jurisdictions have adopted these critical data elements. Another 35 CDEs have deviations in the way the jurisdictions are planning to adopt or implement, and four have only been adopted by one jurisdiction, and nine CDEs have not been adopted at all, which suggests there is clearly room for further harmonization and standardization of trade reporting requirements across global regimes. 
Fascinating statistics. Thanks for those. Now, the CFTC was the first regulator to update its reporting rules with the initial phase implemented in December last year, 2022. Other jurisdictions are following suit, including the EU and Japan in April of next year. Can you briefly walk through the timetable of the expected changes and explain what market participants need to do ahead of implementation? Saeed, let's start with you and then we'll get Eleanor's perspective as well. Absolutely. As you mentioned, phase one of CFTC rewrite took effect in December of 2022, with phase two go live planned for January 2024. In the EU, ESMA will implement its EMEA refit rules in April 2024, and the same month that Japan's JFSA will go live with its rules rewrite as well. In September 2024, the FCA will implement UK EMEA refit followed by go-live of revised reporting rules under ASIC and MASS in October of the same year. So quite clearly, you can see it's a busy schedule look into 2024. While each regime has its own nuances, we are hearing some consistent themes amongst clients when it comes to their greatest rewrite challenges per se. Yeah, so just to share some of that perspective, from a global investment bank, we have got a lot of work coming our way as we look to next year. So we've just heard from Saeed about all the different locations that are changing their rules, albeit with some harmonization in play. But the problem comes with the non-harmonized elements. We have to then deal with that alongside implementations back-to-back, which does cause quite a lot of implementation risk that firms really need to align resources across technology operations and other teams. The amount of testing is critical, and that's really where we see the challenge is juggling all the priorities with the deadlines very close together. And let's not forget, we have to maintain the existing reporting, which is under the legacy rules, whilst we're going into the new regimes. For example, in the EU, we'll be moving forwards with our new rules in April. We need to maintain the FCA version until we do that change in September. I think that is a challenge I've heard from other industry groups as well. Now, I would assume as tight as the timetables are, this is better than doing a single big bang though, right? And across all jurisdictions, given the differences. It is, yeah. It would be extremely challenging. Even the largest firms who have got the maximum resources aligned to this, who are operating in all these different locations across all the various products, trying to do everything at once would be a real challenge for us. So we do welcome that there is a small time period between the changes, but we are trying to attack this globally so that we have the consistency in the way that we deliver the reporting, which we know is also the the intention of the regulators and the industry as we try and harmonize from our perspective as well. I think the technology system and processes required to achieve compliance can also create challenges of their own. And when a firm's trade reporting infrastructure and related control framework is already a patchwork of functionalities from a decade of adapting to evolving regulations, massive problems can occur without it being detected, potentially leading to penalties and reputational damage. And if you think about the next challenge we hear often relates to the overall cost of operating and reporting, right? Operating and maintaining internal trade reporting systems is expensive. And the cost of continuously updating infrastructure to accommodate deferring reporting timelines and requirements will be even greater, especially if approached in a tactical manner. 
So sourcing regulatory requirement expertise is also another challenge. And as we know, Today, the subject matter experts are limited in terms of those who have regulatory reporting background. And that is something we are facing as well and feedback we hear anecdotally from the industry as well. Well, I want to build on what Eleanor said, attacking this globally, which is the reason why ISDA launched its digital regulatory reporting initiative just before the CFTC deadline last December. And we're now working with our members to adapt it for other jurisdictions. I'll let you kind of explain it, but what are the benefits of taking a digital approach to the implementation of these rules? Eleanor? The DRR initiative is something that we've seen as a real step in the right direction for the industry. It's been talked about for a while. And as you mentioned, with the CFTC Go Live was the opportunity to actually bring the reporting solution to life. So now we've reached the point where the solution exists and we're optimizing it. And for JP Morgan, that's been a very promising next step. So we are heavily involved in working with ISDA and other industry participants in making DRR available to everybody. So let me just explain what DRR means from my perspective and how we're seeing it at JP Morgan. So the digital regulatory reporting offering is taking a data model that was built out by industry with ISDA's support. That one is called the Common Domain Model or CDM. So that has existed for a number of years. It's been evolving and it covers the derivatives products full lifecycle and it enables us to plug into this DRR solution. So it's an enabler to take data that we generate internally at all our different firms and then translate it into a standard model, which then our digital regulatory reporting offering can then pick up. So for JP Morgan, what that's meant is, as we look at the best way to align interpretation with our peers, come up with the best practices, but then move to the next level, which is digitize those. So DRR is actually a code that you can implement and use to generate your regulatory reports. At JP Morgan, we worked across front office to understand the use case of the new reporting model. And we were able to come to the decision that it was something we saw a massive benefit in. And we've now worked hard in a way that we can adopt it as we go into next year's rewrites. So we've been working on shaping this code base, thinking about how we'll use it for our regulatory reporting, particularly for EMIR. And then we've got a plan now that we're executing against, which is very exciting to have use cases that will come to life as we move into this next phase. When I describe it, I like what I hear, but when you describe it, it sounds even better. So, Saeed, the industry is working together, as Eleanor has articulated, and several banks, ISDA, DTCC, and others have all kind of taken parts of the code and focused on making sure we get the best practice, and then we get it coded into the common domain model. What's your perspective on how effective this will be, in particular, thinking about it as it goes from jurisdiction to jurisdiction? DTCC has been an advocate of ISDA's digital reg reporting initiative since its inception. And DRR has numerous benefits, as Eleanor articulated earlier. Ultimately, DRR will assist in mutualizing the interpretation of regulatory text and setting off best practice all the way through to the creation of reusable technical artifacts and code. This can help the industry reduce costs from a development perspective, as well as improve testing quality overall. And more efficient, higher quality software development means there will be fewer production issues, reducing risk, 
and cost for the entire industry. Reducing cost and risk in trade reporting is always something DTCC can get behind. Well, we appreciate your support on this. Now, as you both have kind of articulated, DRR works by transforming an agreed-upon interpretation of the reporting rules into an unambiguous machine-readable code or executable code. One of the main advantages is that it eliminates the resources that are required and the inconsistencies that arise when every entity takes its own approach to implementing the uh, regulation. To what extent do you think this might offer a new paradigm for regulatory compliance in the future? I mean, we get this all implemented across many of the jurisdictions. Future changes in data reporting, how does that change all of this if we have and maintain an up-to-date best practice and CDM code? Eleanor, start with you. I think it's the reduced effort as we go forward. So to launch this next year, it's an investment to make sure that we've got the DRR running, we're able to develop our control framework around that, and we have security in our reporting requirements and obligations. But what we see is that once we invest, we'll be able to then scale that. And that's something that we haven't had the opportunity to do previously. Each new regulation has required a supplement implementation, and we've had to deal with that and bear that cost. We also believe this is going to satisfy regulatory objectives and lead to that next evolution of complete standardization across the reports, as regulators will know that participants have used the same interpretation and they'll be able to rely on that in a way that they can't currently. So we see this as a real benefit for firms and for the regulators. So it's a real win-win. Said, from a data repository, how do you think about this new paradigm? Firstly, I fully echo what Eleanor just mentioned. And building on that point, as global policymakers consider the steps that may be needed to achieve data amalgamation in future, DRR could be leveraged as a tool to achieve the consistency of data that is required for amalgamation. As the DRR code is adapted for new jurisdictions, it clearly shows where the rules may be inconsistent with the CDEs or the rules of other jurisdictions. And that clarity could really enable regulators to address and remove the barriers to the development of an aggregate global data set, which would in turn enable the G20's vision to become a reality. Let's talk about the optimal state of data reporting. As you mentioned, right, we've been doing this for 14 years. And we have multiple jurisdictions taking a slightly different approach to the format of reporting. I wonder how policymakers might adjust the system over time to ensure that the best possible outcome. What is the best possible future state of reg reporting that needs to happen here? Saeed, if you were a CFTC commissioner, how would you take this forward? Look, I already mentioned about CDEs and the need for further standardization and harmonization there. I think that for us, an optimal state would incorporate further harmonization and standardization of trade reporting requirements across global regimes, including increased and more consistent adoption of CPMI and IOSCO CD. Eleanor, what does the optimal state look like for you? I think the final state I would envisage is where we can create for any of our transactions, the life cycles that we need to report, we would have one way of sending that data into trade repositories or to regulators, and the same transaction would be shared as required based on eligibility and so on. We'd like to be able to get to that point where there was consistency. The data would be 
picked up and used by regulators as they require, but we would have one way of generating that, and that would be our end state if we can achieve that. And as Sayid mentioned, the CDE is critical to make sure that we follow those rules, we have that consensus across all the participants as to how the data needs to move around to enable the regulators to do their job. Now, we've talked about how to make the data reported to trade repositories consistent as possible, but let's talk about how the data is used. A recent ISDA paper called Hidden in Plain Sight pointed out that a huge volume of derivative trade data already exists, been doing it for years, but to make sense of this and to achieve a more complete picture of the trading activity on a global basis, regulators really need to invest in their systems and data analytics to clean and standardize the data. The paper also suggests that they should sign memorandums of understanding with other regulators where possible to share data across borders. Saeed, ISDA and DTCC have been working with the likes of IOSCO and others to help them improve their analytics capability. How can entities like yours help? And do we really need to continue to help optimize this data just so regulators can use it? The answer is absolutely yes. And looking forward, we see an opportunity for efficient sharing of the trade repository data amongst regulators. But for that to happen, a governance framework needs to be agreed between regulators and data sharing guidelines put in place that allow for access across all jurisdictions. A lack of such a framework will reduce the potential benefits of the harmonized data rules for sure. Eleanor, anything you want to add to this? I think the point around data analytics is something across the industry, whether it be regulators or firms, it's an area that we're all focusing on. It's something that we know that there's been developments in AI and other solutions, and there's a natural look across to how we can improve our regulatory reporting to ensure that the quality is exactly where it needs to be. So I think it's for ourselves and for regulators and using our trade repositories as well to be able to come up with the right way of doing this going forward. And then the data quality will just become better and better. Yeah, I think there needs to be a much more frank discussion about both the reporting quality as well as the outputs as well that the regulators use. I think admitting that it may not be perfect would be a great step, and then we can really unpack these key questions. Okay, to finish up, we always ask our guests a bit about their career journey. We've been talking about deep dives on data, but you both have spent the majority of your careers in the banking sector, Eleanor at J.P. Morgan and Saeed at Barclays before you joined DTCC. What attracted you to this space and how did you get to where you are today? Let's start with Eleanor. As you mentioned, I have been a JP Morgan veteran. I've been at the firm for over 15 years. Banking is a really exciting industry, so I was drawn to that immediately. I grew up in London, was very aware of the city and really wanted to be part of it. Since being at JP Morgan, I've been able to build a career where I learn things every day. I grow my knowledge and I understand a lot about different products within the industry. To link this back to data, though, I think when I was reflecting upon the question, I wanted to share that I think data has become now the critical area in my career that has enabled me to thrive. Embracing data analytics, always being keen to understand data is where I've found the most success. And I continue to see that as the go forward for growing a career within the new exciting world of everything that's out there with large language models, AI, and being ahead of the game. So that's been the role that was played for me. As they say, data is the new oil. Saeed, what about your journey? 
Scott, I have always been a consummate planner. At the age of 10, I mapped out my entire life. I would attend medical school, followed by surgery residency and ride off to sunset in my 40s. My life looks nothing like my 10-year-old vision, but it was relatively carefully curated, I should say. I completed my undergrad and postgrad studies in international management and finance, and I was really drawn to policymaking. And at what stage I wanted to have a career working for the government. However, during my postgraduate studies, I applied for an internship in 2007 at Morgan Stanley's Prime Brokers Division. I really enjoyed the fast-paced work environment and the nature of work, which involved a lot of problem-solving for clients. I got introduced to the world of derivatives post-trade space during my stint at Barclays Investment Bank. And since 2011, I have had the opportunity to work in various regulatory change-driven initiatives. Joining DTCC's repository and derivative services business provided an exciting opportunity to further learn and grow my expertise within this dynamic post-trade sphere. And on personal front, actually, I'm married and a father of an amazing four-year-old who also keeps me on my toes. And I must say, my son continues to put all my problem-solving skills to the test for sure. Wait till you have teenagers, my friend. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, thank you both very much for your assessment of the regulatory reporting regime. This has been a fascinating conversation. We'll wrap it up there. Eleanor, Saeed, you've been great guests. Thank you very much for your time today. Thanks, Scott. Thank you for having us, Scott. Lots covered there, Scott, and some helpful information about the timetable for reporting rule changes. But I wanted to focus on ISDA's Digital Regulatory Reporting Initiative. Can you provide a bit more context on that? Sure. As we discussed on the podcast, greater consistency in the global rule set is vital, but it only gets you so far. Each firm has to interpret the rules, develop their own reporting based on the interpretation, leading to the potential for inconsistencies. As part of the DRR initiative, mutualized interpretation of the rule amendments is developed and peer-reviewed by an ISDA working group. The common domain model is then used to transform the interpretation into open access, human-readable, and machine-executable code that firms can freely use as the basis for their implementation or to check their own understanding of the rules in line with the industry consensus. We think this will avoid the discrepancies that can emerge when each firm has to independently interpret regulatory text. It increases efficiency by avoiding the need for each institution to individually adapt and test its reporting systems. And we know that from the CFTC that they're going to raise the stakes, making failure to fully comply much more expensive, as articulated by the new enforcement director. So all in all, we're trying to really develop a much more mutualized solution where the industry comes together, interprets the best practice, helps implement that into a machine-readable code, and then everybody has that available. Having launched the first phase of the CFTC rule amendments last year, we're now extending the DRR to incorporate the rule changes to the EU and Japan. We also plan to further extend the initiative to cover other rule changes in the months and years ahead. So watch this space. Yeah, watch this space indeed. And you can do that by visiting our DRR Info Hub page on the ISDA website. We'll leave it there, but please do look out for our next episode in which we'll be interviewing ESMA Executive Director Natasha Kasanave. That's it for this episode. Thanks for listening to The Swap. Keep in touch with ISDA via our website, www.isda.org, and our social media channels. 
See you next time. 